You're listening to the Side Gig Central podcast, episode number nine. Have you ever gone online and searched for that little calculator tool for new Airbnb hosts, typed in your city and number of guests, and thought, whoa, I can make an extra $500 a month if I rented out my spare bedroom to a stranger? Did I just completely lose you right there? Okay, how about this one? Have you ever watched YouTube videos with titles like, I want to rent my car on Turo, but it's too much of a pain, or how to make $900 per month in passive income on Turo, or what to know before you make money on Turo, and thought to yourself, hmm, is this a real thing, and how can I be sure that a stranger won't smash up my car? Doesn't matter if you have absolutely no clue what I'm talking about here, or you've already investigated some asset-based side gigs like Airbnb and Turo, because today we are breaking it all down for you and sharing the best tips and tricks to do both of these side gigs profitably. Today, I'm sitting down with J.D. Passamato, a car enthusiast with a 9-to-5 full-time gig as the Mopar Vehicle Protection Regional Manager, and also a very well-versed side hustle aficionado with a ton of experience in managing side gigs on Airbnb and Turo. I've asked him to come on the show today to walk me through exactly how he generated significant side gig income, over $20,000 per year worth, to be exact, using both Airbnb to rent out a spare room and Turo to rent out his Audi S5. And if you're shaking your head right now thinking, geez, Elena, I don't have an Audi S5 or a spare bedroom that I can rent out. What do you think this is? Real Housewives of Orange County season 14? Well, I promise you, stay listening to this entire episode to learn a little bit more about the tips and tricks you can use to turn what you have today into side gig cash. So without further ado, let's launch ourselves headfirst into the world of the shared gig economy. The Sidekick Central podcast is powered by Drive It Away, the only rental car company built around rideshare drivers so that you can rent to own your vehicle. Visit driveitaway.com for more details. You're listening to the Side Gig Central podcast, where we truly believe that your side gig has the power to change your life. My name is Elena Ciccatelli, and I'm a small business owner and side gig hustler just like you. I'm so excited to help you redefine what success looks like in today's gig economy. Listen in on honest conversations that I have with the experts and from hardworking side gig entrepreneurs just like you who are killing it with their side hustle. Learn the best strategies, tips, and tricks that have helped others pave their own way and craft their dream side gig. So if you're ready to get started, up your game, and do the work, you're definitely in the right place. Let's get started. So welcome to the show, JD. I'm so excited that you're here. I know you have a ton of insights for our listeners today all about Airbnb and Turo. So welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and congrats on your uh, your recent Forbes article. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. I am still stunned and just, yeah, I don't even know how that happens. <laughs> so, uh, so, J.D., give me the rundown of all of your side hustles, your side gigs. What does a typical day look like for you? So weirdly, I actually started in the the quote-unquote side gig business back when I was in college. It was a side gig because college is always first, right? Yeah. But this is this is basically immediately before Uber, Lyft, all of all of these, 
you know, Airbnb was started in 2008, but didn't really gain traction until the 2010s. I started in 2009, 2010 timeframe actually doing what a lot of people consider a side hustle, and you can still do now, but I worked event work. So, um, you know, whether yeah. they pay per, uh, by day or by hour, um, you can still do it today. Uh, a lot of people do. I still know a lot of people that that's their main gig where, you know, that gives them enough free time to set anything up that they want. And then they have a couple of core gigs. They get their name in the in the business and um, they continue doing that and for and they, they survive off of that. Gotcha. That, yeah. that being said, you know, I started with that. So I was kind of predisposed to that mentality moving into, you know, graduating university probably at the worst time that you could. Oh, and, well, I graduated in 08 as well. So, yeah, I mean, that's well, I was a little arrest, after that. Yeah, I got the but, uh, yeah. I got the worst of it. I right. Think. Yeah, um, it was it was in the in the crumble there, the aftermath, especially in the car business. Yes. Uh, which is my main hustle. Exactly. Uh, exactly. So it was it was definitely an interesting time. And I, I kind of wish that Uber, Lyft, all of that was um, a little more set in stone back then, a little mm, more popular. Yeah. Um, but, you know. As we'll find out, you know, it became that way, you know, a little, little, a little bit after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was predisposed to that in the beginning, and then, you know, I kind of took that mentality, and you know, these, these, these services, these, um, how, however you want to call them, the, these side gig services. Right. I like yes. that term. Ooh, um, side gig services. <laughs> hashtag. We're setting it up here. <laughs> but yeah, these side gig services are, um, you know. They're just a lever to pull. Um, so whether you know, no matter what your situation is, you know, if you have got to get creative and you got to get in that mindset to to think how you can utilize these programs to your best advantage. So, um, you know, after a couple of years of working at a at a main gig, um, I started setting up these side gigs to, at the time, sort of supplement income, um, which I'm sure a lot of people do at this point. And then you know, after. You know, your situation gets a little better and your main gig gets a little better. They were just kind of icing on the cake. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll go over how I use them to, 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 you know, manage investments as well and make money, make income to invest in other places. No, that's that's all super smart. And I always like to say that, J.D., you are like a pioneer of some of these side gig services <laughs> because, no, I mean, we're going to talk about Turo today, but you were, I believe you were on the Turo platform before it was even called Turo. Is that right? Correct. I think it was the perfect time. In fact, it started out as a company in Boston called Relay Rides. Hmm. Uh, at some point in the whole scheme, they actually uh, took the move, like many companies do, from their their main hub to uh, to San Francisco. So now they're out there. But yeah. um, I was actually part of the platform when they did that transition from Relay Rides to to Turo back in I think it was two thousand late two thousand fifteen. Uh, so it was definitely interesting being part of them with the branding, but. I was on that at probably the perfect time. It was still, you know, under the radar enough to where they could change their name, mm-hmm. but they had significant demand on the platform. So we'll definitely get into the demand on Turo because I know it's it's changed and evolved since those those early days. So uh, I want to backtrack just slightly. I know that for our listeners out there, Airbnb, you've heard of the brand. You've probably maybe even used the service yourself. Um, just for context, both what we're talking about today, Airbnb and Turo, are both asset-based side gigs, meaning you have to actually own the asset, the house, the car, before you can leverage it 
rent rent it out to others, make a profit. Um, I'm not sure this is entirely true for Airbnb. Like, can you rent out a room that you yourself are renting? We'll get clarity on that. And I know it's very different than a plug-and-play side gig, like a Task Rabbit or a Rideshare, or I take online surveys. You know, vastly different worlds that we're playing in. Do you? Am I? It, on that, base here? That's correct. I mean, Turo, um, as the big example, you have to own the, the asset. There's no way you can, you know, rent from Avis and then, you know, flip it back out. Because <laughs> it, when, you, when you get into it, when you, when you rent cars as much as I do for the, for the main hustle, you realize they actually don't have insurance. They insure themselves. So any damage from a rental car, it's, it's completely on them. So if you're spinning that back out, you know, they, these side gig services can say as much as they want to that they have insurance, but getting them to pay out is another thing. Interesting. You know, proving all of these different, you know, scenarios that you have, all these stars that have to align with their insurances, you know, it's it's it, it's a completely separate thing. So, especially with the car, it, that's something you have to own. Yeah. The from the Airbnb side, you don't necessarily have to own it. Um, you know, it's really dependent on what kind of lease you have. So if you're leasing, for example, from, and it's it's also geography-based as well, I've learned. So just in personal experiences using it and, and also renting out on, on, on Airbnb, um, you know, using it, you know, certain geographies like Miami, for example, um, has a very seasonal... Um, uh, seasonal population. A lot of people leave in the summertime uh, when, say, a lot of Europeans, a lot of you know different people around the world will come in. So actually, the housing authorities that um, that manage these these big skyscrapers they have in Miami will actually allow air uh, you know the tenants to Airbnb for a certain amount of time, whether it's six months, eight months, twelve months, or unlimited. You know, however it is, they'll they'll allow uh, to an extent the owners to Airbnb. You zip over to a place like New York, which is the metro that I I rented out um, my uh, my room in. Um, they are completely against Airbnb. They lose so much money, or they lost. Excuse me, they lost. We'll go over this in a second. They lost yeah. so much money on the the hotel income. Because you know the town uh, townships and states, um, you know, pick up, however, you know, twenty cents a night, something like that. Each one's different, but they they make a lot of money off of the hotel rates, which they don't get off of Airbnb. So that's very hyper dependent on what kind of lease you have. It's probably a little bit easier if you have a, um, you know, kind of a. a uh, not a live-in owner, I should say, but like a, an actual like per, uh, individual who owns your house that you that you rent out versus say a, a large management company that, right. that that controls it. Yep. And, and also, you have to take into account that township aspect as well. You know, a huge um, a huge factor since that 2015 2016 timeframe was a lot of these townships have outright banned Airbnb. Uh, New York City is actually um, you know. On the the war path, I think still against Airbnb um, owners or Airbnb administrators, I should say. So, where can folks go to find out if their geography that they're currently living in it falls into one of these uh, no no fly zones? What I would do is just Google your township name or the count Google county and township and Airbnb, and you you'll find out real quick if they have an Airbnb legislation. Because I'll tell you, you know, Airbnb has gotten a lot of press over the past say ten years or so, um, a lot of positive, some negative, and you know, townships are very quick to throw this out there that they want 
they don't want either don't want them around or are okay with having them around. So Got there it. should be a wealth of information if you just um, if yeah, you Google. to Google. I love Google. Now, so walk me through kind of how you use the platform with Airbnb. I know we're kind of jumping back and forth between the two, but we're back to talking about Airbnb. Uh, I know you'd mentioned the property that you were renting or the room you were renting out was located in the suburbs of New York. Uh, where so it's actually um, New York's that that weird kind of place where there isn't really a sub like the, the line between suburb and city is 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 very thin. So it was actually um, very densely populated area that you could from the apartment you could actually see the Empire State Building and the skyline. So if you drew a line from New York City over to New Jersey, it was right there. But you know you could catch the bus from across the street. It was 15 minutes in if there's no traffic, and it was a very adequately located um, located place. That being said, I've never actually rented the whole apartment out on Airbnb. It was just the room. So, um, from an experiential standpoint, that's you know I, I actually had to live with the the Airbnb renters. Okay, so that <laughs> right there in and of itself, I feel like is a story waiting to happen. But um, so it sounds like you were kind of like in the sweet spot because obviously it's a in demand kind of area. Um, was it weird renting out a, a room to a stranger that was constantly changing a couple nights in the month? Like how how did that work with your with living there? <laughs> so so for me actually moving into that place, the the rooms were actually rented individually initially. Uh, so essentially, what I did was when when somebody moved out, I just assumed that room and basically had the entire apartment after that. Um, there, there's a huge culture in and around New York City of, um, and this is how some of the people get these crazy like rental um, rent control rates of like a thousand dollars a month in the city, and and you know they keep they basically keep the same lease for 30 years and just you know tack people onto it time uh, over time. Got it, got it. I think yep. every city has stories like that. Maybe Philadelphia a little less because mm-hmm. the, the rents aren't as expensive, but mm-hmm. you know every expensive city has these the, this kind of underground of very inexpensive apartments and this this happened to be one of them and I kind of got grandfathered in that way so I was I was actually a little and I was coming off that time from the end of college and having roommates and kind of being okay with it um, you know obviously there was a little bit of work cleaning up the room and keeping the apartment you know the whole space clean but um, you know kind of stepping into it it it, it wasn't um, it wasn't nearly as awkward as I, I I thought it would be interesting. Yeah, I I had always kind of wondered about that and, and how uh, and how that kind of that plays out. Now, what would your advice be for someone who's considering maybe becoming a first time Airbnb host? What are the best ways for them to make it worth their time and investment? Because because it is an investment. It it is certainly something you need to upkeep. Oh, I mean, it is. I uh, you know one of the first things that um, that we did was buy furniture. Uh, you know, a trip to IKEA, getting all that. There are startup costs involved, uh, unless you've got all of this sitting around, which you know a lot of people don't when they're setting something up like this. Creating a nice environment is is key. So, you know, you can't have furniture that's falling apart. You can't have you know, uh, I didn't have carpet, but you can't have frayed carpet. You can't have it has to look presentable. Um, you can't have you know floorboards that are, you know, bowing up or anything like that. So a trip to Ikea and I would say probably a good four or five hundred dollars of startup costs are key. And Ikea's really got a lot of the options for it. You know, they've got the beds where you can, um, you know, that also act as drawers. So if you've got a smaller space, um, you know, 
we kind of pushed the bed up against the wall. One half was uh, you know, the half that you had to actually pull the bed away from the wall from is where we put the spare sheets and towels and everything for the next guests. And mm-hmm. then, you know, we allowed the guests to use the other side of the, you know, the drawer space on the bed. And it set it up in a nice way where it was um, ergonomic, but uh, but still kind of cozy. Um, but there are startup costs involved. So a lot of people think you can just kind of get up and go. But you need for, you need brand new sheets specifically for, you know, sheets, towels, linens, specifically for this. Don't expect to use them afterwards. And you probably don't want to use them ahead of time. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I mean, because you are essentially a hotel. You are right. You're the hotel manager. You've got to think about that too. It's and, the and, bed and breakfast. But I will, I will say, a lot of people supplement the Airbnb income because what Airbnb touches is that rate. Uh, a lot of people supplement with a cleaning fee. So that cleaning fee, I've noticed, has has grown. I don't want to say exponentially, but you know, in the beginning, people were charging twenty dollars for a cleaning fee. You know, fifteen, twenty dollars. Now, you know, certain ones, you know, thirty, forty. I'm staying. I'm going to the Grand Prix at the end of October in in Austin, Texas, and a couple of mm. friends and I are, are doing an Airbnb. I think the cleaning fee was fifty five dollars. So that. that's for the host charges you, the renter, fifty five dollars a day. To it's, clean it? It's generally per stay, but oh, it's still an extra but, avenue. So, yeah, I mean, if, if yeah. Airbnb takes their fee out of it, mm-hmm. that'll recoup the fee. Ah, uh, okay. Because Airbnb, so, uh, go ahead. I was gonna, no, I was going <laughs> to ask you with that with that fee, what what percentage does Airbnb take? So, I I believe it's dependent on the price. I think it's like a three, they take fees from both sides, though, so they don't lose. There's, there's a fee from the person that pays an upcharge. I think it's 3%, if I'm not mistaken. It may have changed. Mm. Uh, and then there's a, they take a portion of the nightly rental rate as well, depending on what that is. So, and then they'll, then they'll also collect if the, township, if the township allows your Airbnb to exist, but they want to make their fees that they would have made if they charge you, say, that hotel fee, mm-hmm. um, they will take that as well uh, from, from either side of it. I believe it's the, I believe it's the host side, but they'll rest assured the township and Airbnb will get paid either way. I want to get into uh, kind of some things that you wish you had known before you started out uh, renting on on Airbnb. Was there anything that you kind of learned over the course of uh, having a listing on Airbnb? What are what are some things that you maybe wish you knew? So uh, uh, first and foremost, you know, when you're dealing with people that have never used Airbnb either as a host or a um, or a renter before, or a um, what do you call it? Like a just a user uh, yeah, before. Yeah. Um, you want to make sure if you don't have a filled out profile or like you know previous reviews, you want to write your host a book. Mm. I believe Airbnb locks you out from doing an Insta book feature, like the instant booking feature, which a lot of um, a lot of hosts will do just to you know gain bookings for a certain time. Um, but you want to make sure you write yourself a story and make yourself look good because you know the host. This is the in a lot of the cases. This is the this might be the host's primary residence. Um, you know, like myself. Then this is my home. I don't want to let somebody in who's going to have you know parties and break stuff and you know this that and the other thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, on the other end, you want to you want to market yourself in this case as well. You want to show them that hey, I want a good review on the back end. It's all review based. Yeah. So when you buy something from Amazon, the first thing you do before you buy it, hopefully, is look at the reviews. And personally, I don't even look at the good reviews. I look at the bad. 
Right. So I'll, you know, because a lot of good reviews on there, I'm sure, you know, come from bot traffic or, you know, it's the it's the person who created the item or the company owner, you know, trying to get, you know, something favorable. I look at what the bad reviews have to say. And if there's a bunch of consistencies mm. uh, with a one or two star review, it's no way. Yeah. Um, yep. Because remember, that host, that host can deny for, for any given reason. So if they think you're going to be a threat to their property or whatever it is, the, they will deny. Um, so write yourself a story. But in a lot of states, and New Jersey's one of them, so you, this is a state-dependent thing. Um, if, you, if you are transacting uh, money to stay in a place for more than a certain amount of time, and that certain amount of time is usually 30 days, um, the the way the law looks at it is like it's a short or it's a month to month lease. So if you accept you know a a reservation, I think California. There's a huge uh, stink in California a couple of years ago about this, uh, where somebody you know did their rental for 31 days and on that 31st day they didn't leave. Well, the landlord or the Airbnb host tried to take them to court to get them out. And the state views it at that point as a month-to-month lease. So you have to go through the actual eviction channels to get that person out after that point. So it's a huge pitfall. That is something that I'm sure brand new Airbnb hosts have no idea that even exists. No idea. And if you're in a place like L.A., San Francisco, a place where, you know, there's a lot of traffic and, you know, you're renting out your whole house. Yeah, you got. You really yeah. have to watch. You that. have to watch. Yeah, that <laughs> is a good tip because that's um, that could be a potentially, you know, killer, you know, yeah. pitfall. Especially, you know, if you're doing this as your side gig and this is just you know supplementary income to your main thing. The last thing you want to do is have that supplementary income or supplementary profit and loss statement bleed into your main gig money. The Sidekick Central podcast is powered by Drive It Away, the only rental car company built around rideshare drivers so that you can rent to own your vehicle. Visit driveitaway.com for more details. So I know we had mentioned early on in the episode that you were one of the early adopters of Turo before it actually became Turo as we know it today. And I want to get an idea of uh, not only what those early days were like, but how the landscape has changed with Turo, the amount of demand that's out there right now, and how um, how it's kind of evolved from from a platform that was kind of, like you said, flying under the radar for a while. And now, you know, you see Turo commercials every uh, every couple uh, minutes here. So kind of explain what, what those what those times are like and how it's changed. So Turo actually started as a, a company called Relay Rides out of Boston. Uh, and I think I mentioned this before, you know, one way, shape or form, everything kind of gravitates out to California and San Francisco. So they ended up out there. Um, and I was on that 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 I was on the platform at about that sweet spot time where they um, right when they were transitioning between the the two. So, um, you know, it's something I had heard of previous. You know, I ended up buying a used car, um, an Audi S5, which is uh, if you're not if you're not into cars, you know, it's one of those medium performance cars that, um, you know, it's not the base model. It's not the most expensive, you know, high-end supercar, but it's one of those cars that'll get you to where you want to go very quickly uh, and in a, in a fun fashion. It's something I wanted to do. And I, honestly, I did buy the car at the time. And I, I've been lucky enough in my main gig to get a car as part of the, the whole scheme. So it's not, you know, it's not my primary vehicle. 
And I was, uh, you know, I wanted to jump into one of these cars and test it out for a little while and, you know, not have the huge, um, and not just have it sitting there. So I knew of this, this service called Relay Rides, and I kind of purchased it with the intent of putting it on that for, you know, 50% of the time or half the time. And so I bought it in August of 2015. I signed it up at the beginning of September of 2015, took pictures, made a listing, just like Airbnb. By this time, I'd been doing Airbnb for a couple of months. So mm-hmm. it had started working, and I figured, oh, okay, I'll get into the shared economy a little bit, and yep. I'll just share everything about my life. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're, we're truly millennials now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So I got the car rolling, and I, I have this here, and I'll, I'll send you a screenshot of it. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Actually, I, I want to actually post it when the episode goes live. I'd love to post the screenshot on uh, the Instagram so everybody can see. So it's, it's one of those movie moments, because you post, you post the car, or you do you, you know you make your action and then you do you absolutely don't expect what happens afterwards and what happened really was i posted it and immediately you know i left my phone you know i posted it at night and i just started getting these I, apparently relay rides at the time had so much demand on these things especially in the new york area that you know, I ended up getting hundreds of messages over I, between the time that it was relay rides and they switched to Turo in later in 2015. For the first month, let's suffice to say, I had a, over 200 inquiries on my car. Wow. A lot of that was was wow. tacked onto the first couple of days because I didn't know the platform. You can block out certain days, you can change pricing for certain days, and I had it set for something like. $89. I put it on for something incredibly low, $89 a day, and I had that flat. So I didn't tier weekends to like 100 and something. I didn't, you know, I didn't tier it. I didn't block out any time. And I ended up getting hundreds of requests, um, just completely blocking out my phone. Uh, I'll show you my email here. Um, <laughs> it's just hundreds of these requests. And, you know, at that point, you know, I started booking my first few. Um, I, I let it go out, you know, four-ish days a week on average. And, you know, I slowly but very surely learned to change the pricing, you know, $129 for the weekend versus $89 for the week. Because, you know, you get more demand on the weekends. Everybody's trying to book those two days. Um, you know, I would do, you know, no overnights, more, do two or more days per, per rental because then you, you know, somebody's just going to thrash it and bring it back to you at that point. They just want to try it out. You know, you get in, you, you learn the, the different nuances to the platform the more you use it. But, um, it's very interesting because there's a lot of demand. The thing, the few things you have to watch out for, though, I would not buy a car specifically to put it on here and make a ton of money. Oh, why? Let's get into <laughs> that. Yes, why? So a lot of households, you'll find, you know, you have two cars, and the second car, I think, is used something like, I don't know, less than 20% of the time. You know, this is an avenue for that. Um, to buy a car and have it specifically on this service, uh, especially if you live in a metro area, like at the time, I'd, I'd probably have less of a um, less of a qualm about this if I had lived in Philly at the time, or you know, a Boston, or maybe not a Boston. Boston's roads are kind of iffy still, but you know, or maybe Miami or something like. I have less of a problem, but um, you know, around New York, uh, I noticed that. Not so much the damage, but the uh, the wear and tear mounts up very quickly. I can imagine. And uh, you know, a few a few nasty surprises came after the fact. So, you know, when you're renting this car out, you have to factor into that price, which I found out after the fact. Eighty nine dollars is an amazing price for that car because now they're they're anywhere from one forty nine plus 
Uh, I rented an S5 at one point that uh, I think I paid 249 for for two days. Um, the convertible, mine wasn't a convertible, but still, I mean, the, the car's prices are a little higher now, but mm-hmm. I think people understand the risks associated a little more. If yeah. you're doing that a little uh, for a little higher price and doing that with a, cu- a couple of cars, a fleet of cars, there's power in, in, in numbers here. Um, if you're doing it with a fleet of cars and you have some kind of a hookup, I'll tell you a story about that in a second, it may actually make sense. But if you're, a sing- if you're an individual doing this, um, really, the, the beauty of it is what you get on the back end, because you're going to get your, you know, after the third or fourth ride, I had a nail in the tire. I had to replace the tire, and they were low profile, $229, you know, installed at the dealer. Um, you know, you'll get easy pass notices after the fact that you have to go through the platform to charge the, you know, the, the renter on. And sometimes that's, you know, New Jersey's a bad state with easy pass. You know, it could be a little better. Um, Sorry if anybody from New Jersey is listening. That's but, okay. Uh, fix your easy pass. Please. Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Uh, <laughs> but um, you know, you'll get those notices sixty days later, and you know, going through having somebody at customer service at Turo, you know, handle that sixty days later. It's not always thought about, um, and I, they probably use a different system out in California. I'm not entirely sure. I know Florida has Sun Pass, and Northeast has Easy Pass. You know. So a lot of people don't know how easy pass, and you know, you have states like Michigan that don't have any tolls whatsoever. Yeah. So you yep. know, getting somebody to understand how easy pass works and how delayed the system can get because of the volume, you know, that's another explanation. That's going to take time out of your day. That might take time away from your main gig. You never know. Yeah. Um, you know, managing the fleet a little bit. Now you can. It, it's it's gotten to the point now where you can actually, you know, if you put the the uh, proximity key inside the car in like a an RF proof pouch and then attach a Viper unit to the car, you can actually unlock the doors from a distance as a consumer. These are rental fleet and rental car, you know, devices that, you know, a lot of the the mainstream people don't understand, you know, like if you rent a car from Avis, they have a unit on the car that can track you, they can shut the car, you know, they, they can do a lot of these different things to the cars. Uh, Viper makes a unit for, I think, 150 bucks that you can apply to this car, you know, to any car with an OBD2 port. Uh, that you can unlock the doors. And if you keep that key in an RF-proof bag inside the car, you can technically rent the thing out remotely if you wanted to. So there are there, there are these avenues for this. As an individual person, though, the, the beauty of it is the tax deduction. So when you, you know, when you buy that car and then when you sell that car, there's obviously, you know, you've got mileage, which you can claim. Um, now you have to watch out. And this is this is where this is my main advice for anybody who runs a side gig. You have to hire a good tax person. That's the one. You know, that's that's probably the the number one piece of advice um, that you can do uh, if you're doing a side gig. You cannot go to H and R Block and get this get this done. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. That's I episode five, guys. Listen to it if you haven't already. Talk all about taxes, independent contractors, and side gigs. But yes, absolutely. So even even if you're going to H and R Block, you. you you're going to have to spend a little bit more money on tax preparation for this, but getting somebody who knows what they're doing is incredibly important. What they're going to do, and just cycle back to Airbnb real quick, and I'm going to go on the tax tangent now. You know, they'll you're going to take the square footage of your house you're renting out an Airbnb and multiply it by the usage, and then they're going to deduct that from your your income on taxes. So what you're going to do is you're going to get a 1099 at the end of the year. Um, say you made fifteen thousand dollars on Airbnb, or you made you know. on Turo for the year, right? 
you're going to get that. You're going to scream because they didn't take any taxes out of it. Exactly. And, and you're gonna you're gonna owe twenty five or thirty percent unless you can prove these deductions, right? These are all legitimate. These are all expenses for your business. You know, initially you're gonna take that five or six hundred dollars that you spent at IKEA for your Airbnb, right? That's a deduction, uh, and then they can do depreciation on those those items. You know. The next year, if you're going to do this more than a year, same thing with the car. You know, you're going to do mileage wear and tear for the amount of time that it's used. Say it's 30% of the time. You know, these are the you want to track your mileage too. So in and out, and Turo will help you with that. Um, you know, they when you check into the car to use it, you know, you take a 360 degree view of the car uh, with your phone through the app. You know, you take a picture of the um, the owner is supposed to take a picture of your license, and then they take a picture of the odometer and all of that as well to make sure everything's okay. So once you get into it, you know you'll have all of this information set. Uh, your tax preparer will know what to do. A good tax preparer will know what to do with it. Um, and then when you finally sell that car, you know you've got your delta of depreciation. I'll call it. So if you paid twenty five thousand for the car, and it's you know you sold it for $15,000 after two years, right? You'll take out the mileage that you, you know, you spent on it. Uh, and then, you know, you'll take a frat, you'll take some of that, that um, what, negative equity, some of that depreciation, you know, against your taxes and what you made. So you, you'll use a percentage of that and you'll, you'll, you won't make any more. You still have to pay your taxes, but you know, you'll, yep. you'll right size the tax bill. So instead of paying that 25% with all the expenses and, and, you know, all the expenses that go into it, you might pay 15%. So you'll eke yourself out a little more. And, you know, I recommend if you're going to do this, you know, a lot of people, you know, you get your paycheck and they take taxes out already and then you might get a refund at the end of the year. With this, you will have to pay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would even recommend, you know, maybe throwing that, you know, 20, 25%. Uh, as you make it into, you know, a separate account, whether it's a certificate of deposit, a money market, something that's relatively safe that won't necessarily lose value, but you can gain a little extra money off it as well. And it works really well if you're, you know, in the first four months of a year, uh, a new tax year, and then you don't have to pay, actually pay that bill until, you know, tax day the following year. So you have a, in some cases, you know, a full year plus of, you know, you can do a, a 12-month certificate of deposit, something along those lines, to secure that money, but also make a little bit on that as well. I think it's so important for especially new side gig entrepreneurs that have very little or no experience with having a gig that does not withhold taxes. Because, again, we, we talk to a ton of rideshare drivers, and this is a completely different animal than rideshare, but the one common thread that runs through all of these things is saving for that gigantic tax bill that is inevitably coming your way. And people are so surprised by it. No, and this is this is really a plea to these these you know side gig uh, suppliers. Here is just I know the states are different, and the federal government government everybody kind of falls under a similar you know pattern. But the states are all different. I would just take a flat thirty percent out, and then mm. you've got breakage at the end of the year. You know, the first company that actually decides to um, you know invest in something along the lines of a, um, a tax savings plan or, uh, you know, that'll put all of these, you know, I know Airbnb, you can get a, a spreadsheet of, of all your different um, reservation numbers and your, uh, um, 
you know, your earnings per uh, per reservation. But for somebody to, to really like, okay, well, oh, you made this much this month, we withheld this much, right? And then, all right, maybe submit your, your tax form to us or show us your tax form. We'll pay that money to the government or whatever it is, the money that we've withheld, you know, as you go. Somebody who can figure out that, you know, because as a contractor back in the day, I paid my taxes quarterly. Um, so if you're working like events where you're making, you know, you know, $25 an hour for 10 hours and doing that for, you know, event that lasts two weeks, or, you know, if you're making that, you know, that, that gig income, I don't want to call it side gig because for a lot of people, it's a main gig. Right. Um, yeah. but if you're making like, you know, $300 a day or whatever it is doing, being a product specialist or being an event staff or whatever it is, um, you know, you pay your tax, you generally pay your taxes quarterly. Right, uh, because it's very flat. It, because you get that money in such weird increments. Mm-hmm. It's not like an Airbnb that releases it fairly quickly. You get paid. You might get paid 120 days later after your gig. So you know you got to pay your taxes as that money rolls in. I mean, that might even be a bit of advice for somebody who's who's doing this. Um, you know, as you know, the side gig, you know, sphere is pay your, ta- you know, get on that system where you do and pay your taxes quarterly. And you'd have to probably work that out with a tax professional to yeah. you know, figure out how that'll work. Absolutely. But. You hit on so many golden nuggets of advice right there. <laughs> I can't even keep track of all the good advice that you're just all these truth bombs you're dropping on us today, JD. I wanted to really quickly, uh, we're running a little bit close up to the to the deadline here, but um, I know you mentioned you used an, an Audi S5 for your, uh, for Turo. Uh, is Turo only for luxury vehicles or could I potentially get some hits on a Ford Focus or maybe, you know, a, a, a not luxury vehicle. So kind of get into that a little bit. You totally can. Um, so I've seen, you know, two, well, back in the day, I've seen, you know, 2006, you know, Buick, whatever on there. I've seen literally the lowest of the low. Um, and mind you, that stuff is 15 or $20 a day. But, you know, if you've got the car paid off and it hits, you know, somebody's cheap button, um, somebody will rent it. You know, mm. the car's not going to be on there if it doesn't get usage. And along with that, you know, a lot of the luxury cars will get the usage. They'll also have mileage restrictions on them. Uh, so, okay. you know, gotcha. mine was 100, I think 150 miles a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was almost, it was almost like a zip car. Uh, uh, gotcha. I don't think zip car, I think zip cars have a mileage um, cap. They cover things like gas and everything, but, you know, they have that strict mileage cap. So, I mean, or they have a limit to how far you can go with the car in a day. So, I mean, that's something you have to put on there as well. And, you know, mm-hmm. certain, I thought of it, and honestly, how I got the inspiration for it is I looked at, uh, you know, popular YouTubers like Rob Ferretti and these guys that are like Gotham Dream Cars and these guys that own these really, really, you know, high-end luxury rentals. Um, you know, you walk around and you look at these places, like whether you're in Miami, every hotel has a luck, uh, like a, a Lamborghini out front that they want to rent you. Um, and, you know, a lot of these places do it. And I've noticed, you know, it's not for everybody. You know, a lot of these places exist. Rob Ferretti got his start by um, by basically 
making videos of himself speeding and getting tickets. <laughs> so <laughs> That's one way to get attention. <laughs> yeah, but what it did was it drove business to his his I mean, he I don't believe he started out as a rich man by any means, but now, you know, he's he's got a Ferrari and, you know, mm. he's got a, the entire business of renting, you know, these high-end cars out for rallies and things along those, of those sorts. Um, the way I thought about it was, hey, all right, these guys are, you know, engaging their passion, right? They're, they've got independent money behind this because he made money doing those videos. But, you know, they've got their own money behind this. But they're, they're, the way they're realizing this is they're putting their cars out to rent anyway so they can take them off as tax deductions, which is kind of a – I don't want it, to – it's kind of a millionaire mentality even though, like, by no means I'm a millionaire, you know. But it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's, it's a means to an end. If you want to get something that you want and drive mm, it for a little while and, mm-hmm. you know, have a better tax implication on it, you know, rent it out, maybe gain a little bit of revenue. Uh, you know, I did make, you know, six or $700 on the car on a monthly basis for me having it out. And after, you know, I, I wash insurance out because you're going to pay insurance on any car, any car that you have. Um, but, you know, that 400-ish dollar payment, $410 payment that I had, you know, I, I could have doubled it on a monthly basis. Um, in the end, you know, it was, I used it more for the, um, for the depreciation and, and tax write-off because that actually helped. That's where two side gigs actually uh, merged together because that actually helped the, the tax situation on the Airbnb. Ooh, I had that's both, creative. I had them both registered under the same LLC. Oh, man, that's a whole other topic. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yes, exactly. Because now you're not, you're protected under the, the whatever your LLC is, and then you're having both of those. That's oh, so smart. All right. Well, we're going to have to do another episode. Excellent. About, I'm, okay. Yeah, we're going to have to a- ask, ask JD back for an episode about uh, LLCs for side gigs. We're getting into the Never Would I Ever segment of the show. Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. Now, I ask every guest who comes on the show to fill in the blank of this one sentence as it relates to their field of expertise. And I've actually just picked Turo as your field of expertise, although I know you are very well versed in Airbnb. (laughs) Uh, So fill in the blank. When it comes to using Turo as a side gig, never would I ever buy a brand new car to put in the service. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so I go speci- ahead. <laughs> I specifically found that Audi S5. Um, I had been monitoring it for a while. Uh, it was at a dealership, which I don't believe exists anymore. I think they pre- they have since sold, but it was at an Audi dealership. It was not certified. If you're going to do it, I you know I would highly. If you're going to do it, I would do a certified pre-owned used car because they have the warranty attached to it. But the car I bought was just out of certification and was actually sold at some point as a certified car as well. So it had a decent amount of miles on it. You know, about sixty thousand miles when I bought, I purchased it. Um, but the price was phenomenal. This car had been online for over a hundred days at the time. I bought it at the end of August, which, which you know, in the dealership world, you know, when you click from August to September, the sales drop about forty percent, just overall. Because you know, from a, you know a broad perspective, you know tax bills are due in a lot of townships. The second tax bill for the year, municipal tax, school tax, whatever it is, they're due in September. Kids go back to school. People stop spending money on cars generally after the summertime is done. So I knew this 
you know, I, I was able to leverage that information and get this car at a really good price at the time. Um, that being said, if I, you know, if you're going to buy a brand new S5, which you know stickers in the mid 50s, and put it on this service and hope to make money, that's not the best idea. Um, you want to get a car that's right in that good, you know, has depreciated but is not in that at that point where it's going to have a lot of mechanical issues. That's such good advice. I mean, there's there's just so many things to consider, so many variables, and I again. Do your research, do your homework before before you get into any of these asset-based side gigs. Because again, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, this is not just a plug-and-play tackle task rabbit, you know, Etsy thing. This is this is in you know the whole name side gig. It's for the side. This yes. is not meant to be your main thing. No, no, exactly right. JD, thank you so much for your time. This was so informative, as I <laughs> knew it would be. I knew you were the perfect person to talk about Airbnb and Turo. Um, if listeners want to connect with you online, where can they find you? What social platform do you hang out on the most? Give me all the JD information. So you can you can catch me at Shift of Style on Instagram, and that's probably the best way to get to me. Um, but perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I know we're going to have some um, some questions, maybe from some Instagram listeners, uh, so that would be amazing. Uh, again, thank you so much for your time, JD. Thank this you was, for having this me. This is very good. <laughs> we'll do another episode about LLCs. Thank you for putting up with my tangents. Please. No, your tangents were great. That's where all the golden nuggets were. Thanks so much for listening to the Side Gig Central podcast. You can dive into the show notes for this episode and for all past episodes at SideGeekCentral.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. And while you're at it, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll talk to you very soon. And by the way, keep up that side hustle because it looks good on you.